0: Today on IFS Talks, we're speaking with Chris Burris. Chris Burris is an IFS Senior Lead Trainer. He's been an IFS therapist since 1999 and is trained as a marriage and family therapist. Chris uses mind-body approaches to therapy for working through traumatic stress, depression, and anxiety disorders. He has worked extensively with couples, families, teenagers, and children, and is a licensed counselor supervisor. Chris is currently in private practice in Asheville, North Carolina. Chris, welcome to IFS Talks and thanks so much for being here with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you very much, I appreciate it. It's great being with you guys.
2: Thanks so much, Chris, for willing to sit with us. What parts come up today hearing your bio?
1: mm I think that some parts of noticing you know, I've been a therapist for close to thirty years. It's been kind of a long journey mm-hmm. kind of beginning learning ifs, you know, learning about psychotherapy and learning ifs and you know, and sitting with clients for you know close to thirty years now, so I guess some parts are aware of the the journey that I've been on.
0: us chris a little bit about your journey what got you into the world of therapy to begin with
1: you know for me i i was always just kind of good at talking to people i i was a you know i had a pretty severe dyslexia as a kid um didn't really read very well until fourth or fifth grade um but i could do things orally so i could i could learn and 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 could talk with people and have pretty good social skills. So I sort of got by in school by, um, by watching and watching people watching uh, and learning orally. And um, so that was kind of what I was good at um, was listening and, and interacting with people. So I think I was a child that really noticed um, how people felt, noticed their emotions um, was pretty aware of family dynamics. Um Did a lot of caretaking for my mom, Um, and so I, you know, I didn't like it that people didn't feel well, that that felt anxious or scared, or didn't feel connected. So I was that kind of kid that paid a lot of attention socially to how people felt. Mm -hmm. You know, so I grew up in a rural area of North Carolina, and there wasn't psychotherapists didn't exist. There, it wasn't that sort of thing. The closest we had was a school counselor. Um, I, I felt the school counselor was pretty inept. A lot of my friends had a lot of problems um, that no one was there to talk to. I was looking back the other day, like all of my best friends had fathers or grandfathers that had alcohol problems and really no one to speak with. Um, So, you know, then I discovered psychotherapy and I thought, Oh, well, that's a great thing. You know, people should have someone to talk to. Um, The best I had was maybe a, I had maybe a, you know, a youth minister that I could talk to a little bit, you know. Um, so, um, wow, make a living talking to people all the time. That sounds pretty great, <laughs> you know. so Yes, it's amazing. So, you know, kind of got interested in psychology and, you know, and, um, you know, here I am 30 years later, still enjoying talking to people every day.
2: It's such a privilege, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, especially when something we can heal trauma and I think a lot of our ills in society are related to trauma and how very little we actually recognize the impact trauma has on systems and communities and nations.
2: Yeah. And it looks like you were a sensitive child. Yeah. And you could feel what's going around.
1: Yeah, I had an early sense of what was going on emotionally around Mm -hmm. for people. Chris,
2: we know you have been leading level one and level two trainings for the IFS Institute, and more recently you are leading level three trainings as well. So, congratulations! Thank you. And how is it, Chris, leading different levels of IFS trainings? How does it feel to you those different levels?
1: You know, I I still enjoy. I enjoy teaching all different levels. I um, enjoy teaching. these sort of core skills, I still enjoy teaching people discovering their system for the first time sometimes in level one trainings people are discovering their what their parts are for the very first time um so i I still enjoy that i um I enjoy the complexities of um so, you know level twos and threes. I haven't taught level three yet we're getting ready for that, but we can we can start to get into the more complexities of uh, how systems operate and um and sort of share some of the nuances. so I, I, I like uh, I like that. The upper levels, I get to be a little bit more creative around how we deliver the material and experiential exercises. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I enjoy teaching all of those different different areas,
2: different challenges, <laughs>
1: yeah. You find IFS. I met Richard uh, Dick Schwartz at a networker conference. I was working with a client that um, I had studied a, a parts model before. I had studied with David Kalof for a long time, and that was a he has a parts model. And I was uh, working with a client that probably was could be classified as um, dissociative disorder. And uh, we were kind of stuck and um, I'd done a lot of trauma work with her, loved her. She was a wonderful woman, but we were a bit stuck. And um, I went and did a consult with Dick and learned some things just in the consult that I went back to her with. And she's, she's like, yeah, that's exactly how my system wants to operate um, around harmony and cooperation versus integration into a singular personality. And that was uh, that was sort of the thinking at the time was that we, that dissociative identity disorders were meant to sort of integrate back into more of a singular operation personality versus being one of harmonious cooperation. Yeah. So I, I loved his presence. I loved how accessible he was. We did a consult right there in the middle of a book slot signing. He took 30 minutes with me in a book signing to help me with this client. And none of the other gurus, you know, at the time were willing to do that. You know, they were, they, it was very hard for them to even, you know, give you five minutes. So I was really impressed with how accessible he was at the time.
2: Chris, we also know uh, you have some specific topics of interest, like working with inner critics, sacred activism, and contracting or the therapeutic setup treatment plan. And how that relates to IFS. Can you share more about your topics of interest? Like, why why this one? This the inner critics is really one of your specialities. I, I understood.
1: Well, I was trained as a family therapist first, and um, training is for the Center for Marriage and the Family, and, and so I kind of apply like how what you would do in a regular family session to what you would do in an internal session. Um, so if we We're in a family session with maybe mom, dad, grandfather, two children. And one of the members were quite harsh. We would start working with that right away. We wouldn't ask the exiles or the young children to divulge their vulnerability if one of the parents carried a lot of harshness. So I think about real real world physics and how that applies to our internal system. So when I started looking at the IFS protocols, um, it didn't quite fit with how we would operate in a normal family therapy s- setting um, that we, we wouldn't work with sort of the harshness in the room first uh, to create a safe environment for, to get to the, uh, for the younger children to begin speak. You know, and I, I saw a lot of damage in family therapy that was done by asking children to be vulnerable before we really kind of neutralized the harshness of their parents. And um, so I didn't want to recreate that. And a lot of my work as a family therapy supervisor was to change some of those dynamics of the way people conducted family therapy. Um, so I started applying that to the to IFS process of looking at let's let's see if we can help a lot of the harshness in the room, and that in critics are parts that carry harsh um, behaviors or attitudes. Um. So that's, that's kind of what got me interested in working with those parts a bit first to see if we can get some shifts with those parts so they don't come in with harshness as vulnerability emerges in the system.
0: How would you recommend to our listeners to work with their own critics first before going to other parts that might come up?
1: Well, I think that um, if we pay attention, I mean, critics is not new, you know, this is Albert Adler was talking about this inferiority complex, you know, and, um, you know, so it's been around a long time. So I think it's, I think it's, there. there's some part of us, I'm curious these days around, there's some part of us that tries to hold us accountable, um, that wants us to be accountable to what our potential is. And uh, and see as a discrepancy between our ideal self and our real self, somehow these parts learn to to try to mitigate that discrepancy by using a harshness, a harsh way of interacting with us. So with all parts, we look at what's the intention, what how's the part trying to help? What's what's its goal? How's it trying to help? So noticing a bit the protective nature of it, that it means does it mean to make us feel bad or shame? It's trying to protect us in some way. So validating the the desire to protect is the first step to helping these parts. Um, and then with my own system, I, I get curious around, okay, like why do you need to be harsh? And what are you hoping would happen by being harsh? And a lot of times these parts don't trust that they can be heard and, and listened to unless they're, they have some intensity to them. Um, and then as I got closer with the work, I began to question, like, where did, where did you learn this? Uh, my, my father wasn't a harsh person. My father was a pretty gentle guy, um, never really got angry. So it wasn't really my dad. My grandfather wasn't very harsh. He was a pretty gentle, kind guy. Uh, my mom could be a little harsh, but this part didn't seem like my mom. You know, so as I got to listen to it more, it kind of took on these these sport coach, sports coaches, particularly my football coach, had taken on the, and this was kind of a time where I needed to get more disciplined um, and be more disciplined. I went sort of being a kid to being, you know, a more disciplined athlete. And my football coach, particularly, and he helped me be successful, but he did it by being quite harsh. So getting curious, so who are you mimicking? This is one of the questions. You know, who are you acting like and where did you learn to act like this person? And the other question I asked a bit is, uh, is there anyone else that that would actually do a better job at this, had a better way of being doing this a better, better job in your environment uh, that you that would be a better person to mimic? Some people don't have that. Some people don't have, um, you know, that empowerment person in their life so they they mimic the best they can kind of come up with
2: this is why people do over identify i don't know if you agree with this that people used to over identify with their managers with their inner critics
1: i think these parts they play a major role in our system so they're quite active so these the managers and inner critics, you know, tend to be quite active. Um, and so I think the identification as you're describing is a bit of the nature of how active these parts are in our systems. So, uh, so they're they're kind of meant to play a major role. Sometimes they're meant to help us survive. Um, for my my inner critic, you know, the option of, you know, I'd already sort of got cut from the baseball team. I got cut from the bas- basketball team. <laughs> You know so the getting cut from the football team wasn't an option you know for this part so it, it became very um it very overzealous to make sure that i was successful at football uh, because to not have a sport it you know in my day and time was not really acceptable to my part so it, it was quite active it became quite active <laughs>
2: And usually those guys, that is um, inner critics and um, smart parts of our system, They usually in my practice they say, this is me, the clients say, this is not a part, this is me. They really are big bosses and strong parts that believe can control our, our, all the system and people over-identify, in fact. So usually it's hard work for me. How is it for you? I know that you... You learn and you teach how to embrace those parts, but let us know more.
1: I find that too. I, um, you know, I was, I was fishing with a friend of mine and he was a doctor, he's a doctor in med school. And, um, he was just kind of talking out loud and he said, he said out loud, he said, you know, I just think I am this scrutinizing critical person. I just think that's who I am. And, um, I found it kind of interesting because I had I had never felt him scrutinize me. Uh, he was a pretty generous person. We were fishing in his boat, you know, and with his rod, his reel, and all of his tackle, and, you know, and he had invited me to, to come on a regular basis. He was very generous. And I said, well, well who's this generous person that's very kind and, you know, and um, caring towards me? Like, I don't, I don't know that I experienced this, you know, in you. And, um, you know, so that, that, that little separation that there's some, there's a, there's a separation between that part of us. And there's something different. There's some other quality to our being that, that recognition that there's a, there's something else besides that is kind of that crack, I think, where we began to get curious around like, you know, what else is there that there's more to our system than maybe this voice or this these thoughts. It may be kind of predominant, but there's something more there. So precisely,
2: how, how do you help clients to unblend from these parts and to find that they have self or a self who's really They much more believe they are these inner or smart, inner critic or smart parts rather than other thing and... It's the moment for us as therapists to help them to find self in themselves. How do you help them?
1: Well, I think that um, what's a little different from um, maybe doing IFS for a long time and maybe learning IFS for the first time. You learn to really relax your agenda and your and your your goals. And so when I I think the way that I Tend to do ifs and the demos people watches. I'm I'm pretty good at just really sitting back and relaxing and getting to know whatever is there. Um, so listening really closely and getting really curious around. And and I'm I'm pretty comfortable just hanging out with a part. You know, so I'm you know it's like you know we're just going to sit on the porch and get to know each other. Um, so I, you know, so the first thing I do is. Is get comfortable, like, okay, we're just maybe the next 30 minutes, all we're gonna do is get to know this part of you and how it's protecting you and how it got its job and what's afraid would happen if it didn't do its job and who is it mimicking and what's it, you know, what's it trying to protect and that there's not a goal to get beyond it or past it uh, or to get rid of it. Um, and I think these parts can feel that type of curiosity. And, and the first step is to get to know them really well. Um, and as you get to know them well, there's there's a natural unblending that happens. I don't have to force something. I don't have to make something happen. I don't have to do anything to anybody. You know, I just have to sit and be curious and get to get to know them well. And I sound, but ifs that's actually kind of what I was good at was as a kid is just sitting back and listening. Um, so I I don't have to do too much extra. Um, like I, I thought I had to when I was a younger therapist.
0: Yeah, I really love that concept of really just being with the critic without agenda. Yeah, this conversation is reminding me of a dynamic that I have with one client in particular, where we'll go through the model and and have. What feels like a lot of self energy, but then when we get to a vulnerable exile, and I ask how they feel towards it, it always feels like a, a big critic comes up and really criticizes even the the, mm. the image of mm. of the exile. Um, so I don't know mm. if you have any insight on on working with that a little more.
1: Yeah, I think that. I get curious around where, where did you learn that the vulnerability was so intolerable
0: Mm.
1: and so such a bad thing and that these feelings were so wrong. Um, And, you know, and there's certain things, certain parts, you know, I discovered a part not too long ago that just really dislikes any helplessness is cannot tolerate helplessness in me. You know, so if there's something that seems helpless, it's going to like go into striving. I just can't tolerate it. You know, so sometimes there's something that this part's learned that just is intolerable. Um, And, um, you know, maybe it it could be some dynamic in in their, you know, growing up or, but where did they, where did they learn that these vulnerabilities are so uh, despicable or intolerable or what are they afraid is going to happen? Who are they afraid? Who are they afraid of? you know that sometimes the uh, folks that are mean to us still live in our system and we are still anticipating that to happen again. So getting curious about what's, what feels so intolerable about, about these more vulnerable parts of us.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, staying with the curiosity.
2: Please, I'm going to quote you. I read somewhere you say your inner critic is a major player who tries to help you meet your ideals. It has learned how to use fear, shoots and harshness, but you can befriend your critic and it can transform as it learns. There is another way to help. So again, what, what is this another way to help?
1: Yeah. You know, I worked a lot. I was a director of counseling at uh, North Carolina school of the Arts, So I worked a lot with artists. We had, um, really the most, some of the most incredible artists, um, uh, around in drama, visual arts, uh, filmmaking, uh, but they, they all were, tend to be driven by fear. So fear is a major loud motivator in our system. We can feel it. Um, it, it helps us survive. It helps us overcome. Um, but it kills creativity. Um, and, um, so because it's so loud, we we learn to kind of rely on it. And um and our parts are oriented toward helping us survive. So, so fear is what is a survival instinct. Um and with trauma, you know, trauma creates a lot of a threat to survival. So these parts get maladaptive and believe that our survival is at stake. So they use fear to survive. Um the other motivation, which is more the natural motivation, is inspiration, or creativity, or imagination, enchantment, um, you know, um, in, intuition. This is a this is a different energy. It actually comes through us when we're in self energy, and this is where we can imagine uh, a different way of being in the world, and we can actually start to imagine a different world than the one that we're in, uh, that we might be able to create, but. We have to sort of turn off the fear, help the fear turn off in order to create space for that, that more creative energy to, to come through. So IFS is a model where the self emerges when the extreme parts can relax. So it's, it's, a, it's an emergence model by releasing constraints. Um, so so the, the parts have to have that negotiation to be able to then know that, that, that the self it can emerge and there's a different energy it actually is more powerful more creative and 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 more productive than the fear if you've ever tried to accomplish something just by being afraid i remember staying up write, trying to write papers being afraid of failing and just couldn't even hardly think straight so that's the other potential is the the inspiration that self energy brings into the system
2: so exactly these um term, inner critic who, I don't know exactly who kind of it, maybe Jay Early or Sandra and Halstone. Stone. Yeah. Um, so th- this befriending approach is not new in our field, but what does IFS brings as new
1: to this befriending approach? I think, I think a lot of kind of behavioral therapy is actually trying to mitigate these critical voices. Um, you know, so the I th- I think what IFS brings there's in a little bit, I see things a little different than Jay. Um, I really appreciate his work, but um, I think, I think seeing that these parts are here to help us survive. They don't mean to cause trouble. They're maladaptive and there there's more to them than this. So critics have the capacity, all parts have the capacity to transform and change. So when we use the inner critic, we actually kind of, Lock it in place as that's who it is. So I try to even adapt our language, you know, to a part that uses harshness, or a part that uses criticism to try to to um, to help you. So even if we change our language a bit because we don't want to stagnate it into a fixed role or a fixed place, it's a part that uses harshness. You know, and so, so as as a way, as a part that carries anxiety, or a part that carries fear, a part that um, has a burden of shame. So the the part is more than just its role, and more than the the energy that it carries. Um, so I think that's one thing I if brings is that it's more than that. It's a player. It's a major player in your system that has learned to use harshness as a way to try to help you. Um, so we don't want to. So, in our language, we don't want to fix it into place and allow it to the space to be transformed, as we allow other parts to transform.
2: Please, we see such a booming in the IFS trainings and even the studies that turn IFS an empirical supported model, so it's booming. How do you see the future for this model?
1: I think that's a really great question. You know, I think it's expanding into lots of other arenas and, you know, starting out as a psychotherapy model and then it, it kind of, it has, a lot of coaches has adopted it, body workers have adopted it, uh, quite a bit of lawyers have adopted it. I just did a training Um, with a group of trial lawyers um, on IFS and, and what really self energy brings to their credibility as uh, trial lawyers. Um, And uh, uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of expanding roles. Management has a, a a lot of um, capacity to use IFS for business management health healthcare and, um, you know, so there's a lot of, I see it expanding into a lot of uh, arenas and can be used a lot of uh, education for children and teachers. Um, so there's a lot of arenas that, that it can, can really expand into and have um, a very, a, uh, a really important influence.
0: for yourself chris um i know you're expanding into teaching the level threes but do you have any personal um manifestations that you you'd like to share with us and things you're bringing to the model or things that you're working on
1: yeah i've been trying to work on um finishing ifs group therapy manual Mm -hmm. interesting um it was get close to written and then COVID hit and then we all went online so i wrote everything to be able to use in an encounter group format and then we've gone online and um and then our 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 teaching has really increased a lot since then so i'm trying to complete this this process um and write a a chapter for how to use it online and um so with with dyslexia writing is not my my favorite milieu. So it's, it's, it's quite a slow process with lots of help. Um, uh, so, so that's one of the areas I, that I am very interested in. Um, I've been working a lot with activism and social justice and, um, working with, uh, an organization called Black Therapist Rock and doing, I I left level one trainings for them. So I've gotten very active, just with the spirit of our times and social justice, and in my own work around bigotry and uh, prejudice and racism, um, so I've gotten very passionate about um, uh, you know the the really the opportunity that we have to try to reimagine our institutions to be less systemically racist um, in the United States. So uh, I've got very in, engaged and involved in that process the past three years. Very noble topics. Yeah.
2: And let us know, Chris, how about you and these pandemic times? How are you coping with
1: You know, it's for a while in the beginning, it's kind of, we've kind of settled into another, another way of life, um, you know, that sort of the new normal in some ways. But mm-hmm. the first, you know, four or five months was quite stressful. And I think we've kind of hit a new, new rhythm here. For me, um, you know, I traveled a lot. I was gone from my family um, a couple, a couple weeks a month, at least one week a month, and have, my children are still, you know, in, in junior high and high school. Um, so that was really hard to be away from home. So mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed being at home a lot um, and being able to teach at home. And so I, it's been a bit of a, a respite for me in some ways, and stressful in others. But um, and teaching online is is it has a lot of merits a lot of benefits as there's some challenges to it um i can't get up move people around the room and do sculptings the way i'd love, love to and so i've had to design new ways of teaching but so far we've been healthy and that's been great
2: chris thank you so much for having us we really hope that we can sit again and um go through those interesting topics that you are somehow deepening, and uh, hope that we can keep meeting and sharing this model,
1: our work, and our lives. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you, Chris. Thanks for sharing your wisdom.